So we start a brand new sermon series, Living in Christ's Light, and um, the reason why I chose that title of this series is, and uh, Thessalonians, Paul talks a little bit about how we are called to be children of light. And I just love that. And so we're going to spend the next uh, four weeks talking about the book of Thessalonians. And so today I'm only going to um, talk a little bit about Thessalonians because I really wanted to begin this new sermon series and talk a little bit about the Apostle Paul. I love Paul. I appreciate his teachings. I really, one of my favorite pieces of scripture comes from the Apostle Paul. He says, you know, I do the things I don't want to do and the things I don't really want to do, I end up doing anyway. And I thought, you know, that's me. I mean, that's us, isn't it? I just love that. And so I really appreciate the teachings of Paul. And I thought, what a great way to begin the brand new year is to be able to talk a little bit about the Apostle Paul and his teaching. And specifically, we're going to talk about the book of Thessalonians. I've never have taught, actually taught on the book of Thessalonians. So let me begin by reading um, just one, uh, actually the first chapter. It's a short chapter from uh, Paul's letter um, to the Thessalonians. He talks about Paul and Timothy and to the church of Thessalonians and the God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace, he says. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you and your prayers constantly, remembering before our God and Father your work of our faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because of, your, because of our message of the gospel came to you, not in word only, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit. And with a full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of the persecution you received for the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. And for the word of the Lord has sounded from, from forth from you, and not only in Macedonia and Archaea, but in every place of your faith in God we, has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we have among you and how you turn, you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. I love that. And to wait for this, his sons in heaven, and whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, thanks be to God. Amen and amen. So uh, let me just uh, begin here today. And so I'm going to put something, we're going to put something up on the screen here. And it's just, it's just a kind of a teaching moment. And um, so I, I, I love this. I found this slide. And so this is, um, this is all the journeys of Paul. And so what's very interesting, and so we got first, second, third, and fourth journeys. And so the red is the last journey. And so we start over here. And so what I thought was very interesting when you start here, when you look at it, like, for example, the first one is in this purple. He starts over here in Tosha, and it just kind of makes a loop around, and he makes a loop around, and it goes like this. So I call this the first lap. And then you go around, you have this green line, and here's another one of his journey. It goes all the way around and kind of laps back around. And then I call this the, his second lap. And then you have, once again, he starts down here, down, all the way down in Jerusalem, and he makes all of his, goes all the way around here, and he makes a big lap and comes back all the way over here. And then, of course, his final lap was he went all the way down here. He ends up over here in Crete. Then he ends up going over here. He goes into Malta. He gets, actually gets stranded here, and he goes all the way back up here. And he ends up in Rome, and then around 65 AD that we know that probably Emperor Nero actually kills Apostle Paul along with Peter as he rounds up all the, well, all the Christians early on 
and um, kills them um, as a kind of a scapegoat. So this is, the, this is a part of Paul's story. And the reason why I share this with you was when I looked at this slide originally, um, I, I just, this word kept um, being revealed to me, and the word was the word lap, because he kept making laps. And so then I started putting this kind of an imagery in my own head. I thought about the word lap. And, and um, I, I put it into a context for what I try to do every single week. I'm, I'm committed to do this. And I, this is my goal every single week as I stand before you as your senior pastor to preach the gospel. And L stands for, I hope that something I say today or next week or next month or throughout the whole year that you learn something new about the Bible, that I'm gonna teach you something new about the Bible that maybe you didn't know. The A actually has to do with, can you take something that actually I share with you from the pulpit or something you experience in the worship experience and apply it to your life, A. And the P has to do with your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because that's what it's all about. Can I amen on that? And so something that I preach or say that so you learn something new, you can apply it to your life and your everyday life, and then also it has something to your personal journey, L-A-P, lap. And so what I think I love about the teachings of Paul, um, as I read them, I always learn something new. I think that's, that's part of what Paul was trying to teach his churches in Corinth and Thessaloniki and, and, um, and Philippi and all over in Galatia. He was always trying to teach them something about the word of God, to be able to take something of his teachings and apply it to their life and that they would learn something and apply it and help them have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's my goal. So here's what, I was watching um, Monday Night Football the other night, and, um, and I don't know if you all saw this, but um, here's an image of what happened, and um, this is DeMar Hamlin, he was making a tackle. Can you put that up on the big screen? And so, um, and so all of a sudden, you know, it's one of those kind of interesting things that, um, well, I mean, no one ever knew kind of what was gonna happen next. And so he ends up making this, um, this hit. I mean, they are always hitting each other, but this time he actually stood up. Some of you all saw, follow the story this week. And he stood up, it might be two seconds, and he fell flat back on his back. And, you know, most people, we, we see, if you watch any football, this is kind of a normal, it's almost a normal thing. And so we didn't think anything of it originally, but then all of a sudden the trainers start running out, and then all of a sudden they realize that this is a little bit different, right? This was very different. And this is the first time, and I've watched Monday Night Football since I was a kid for maybe, I don't know, maybe over 20-something years. This is the first time I've ever seen Monday Night Football come apart at the seams. I mean, all of a sudden, there was this, um, there was this sense of urgency as the trainers ran out on the field, and they started actually, well, all of a sudden, it wasn't like working on a knee or working on a shoulder or something, but they were working on his heart because they were actually doing CPR on DeMar Hamlin. And it was very interesting. It wasn't the doctor that saved his life. It wasn't the first trainer, that, uh, ex like the executive trainer. It was the assistant trainer that ran on the field. Evidently, they pulled his shoulder pads off because they realized that he was dying right there because he had a heart attack. And, and so what was very interesting about all that, how that all unfolded, I, I thought was really powerful because the first thing I noticed was that the, the commentators, Joe Buck and, um, and Troy Aikman, when they were trying to kind of walk through that in the first five or 10 minutes, they were at a loss at words. I mean, that's the first time I've ever seen Troy Aikman and Joe Buck lost for words, right? 
I mean, this is what they do. They commentate over football, but they didn't really know what to say, or, and they kept saying the same thing over and over and over again. Well, we don't know exactly what's happened. We obviously, there's a situation, and they had to stop the game, and then they ultimately, the, um, they brought out the, not only the, the stretcher, but they also brought out the ambulance, and that's not good. So then after about 10 or 15 minutes, and they threw it back to the ESP uh, correspondence center and they sent it to the like, three other ESP correspondents and they didn't know what to say. Everybody didn't really have any idea what to say. So that was really interesting because this is the first time I ever witnessed anything like that on, the, on, on Monday Night Football. The other thing I thought was really interesting is that um, the players, there was a sense of, I mean, I never seen like 350 pound linemen as they're watching this unfold because he was dying. They began to cry. You could see the tears streaming down their cheeks. I'd never seen that before, it was amazing. And so at the, this is a really big game between the Buffalo Bills and the, and the Bengals. And so they're in the heat of the competition. They've only played about the first of the first half. And so they're, they're, they're competing, right? And all of a sudden, instead of like hitting each other, they were hugging each other. That was the darndest thing. I never seen anything like it. And so I thought this was actually a pretty good quote when I thought this about the idea of unity. The world needs less polarization and more unification in order to create a better and more loving world. Can I amen on that? Mm -hmm. So then I thought, okay, that was interesting. So then I thought, okay, so there are lost at words. Nobody knew what to do. This is kind of unknown territory. They're, ESP, I mean, the Monday Night Football's falling apart. They didn't know, they had no, they didn't know where to go next. So evidently I had to call the commissioner up and say, what do we do, right? I mean, this is, what, what's our next call? What's our next thing that we need to do? And so they ended up actually canceling the game. Never seen that before ever. And so what was very interesting is this whole thing, one's whole, here's the next thing that happened. Uh, can you show that next picture of them? And they were all praying. Now, what was very interesting, not only they pray in the field, but the people are praying in the stands and all of a sudden, because here's this young athlete, he's only 24 years old, and he's dying in front of 80,000 people, but millions of people on Monday Night Football. Wow. And so it was very interesting. And what I, when I kept hearing the commentators say over and over and over and over, but in here, which we heard it like 20 times that night, all we can do is pray. Wow. That's a different perspective on Monday Night Football, isn't it? Isn't it a different perspective that we see over and over again in America today? I mean, there's so much on TV and most of it, a lot of it's garbage. But what's beautiful on what I saw on Monday Night Football is when, the, when, the, when it came crunch time, nowhere else, no one knew else to turn but to turn to God in prayer. That was powerful to me on Watch That Home Full. And so I thought that was really powerful. And then the last thing I thought, my, my last little takeaway from Monday Night Football was this, um, the idea that they didn't give up. I mean, they're, they're pounding away at this young man's chest and he was dying, but that young trainer, who's the assistant trainer, evidently when he was pounding away doing the CPR on the, Demario Hamlin's chest, he wasn't gonna give up. What's interesting was I was writing the sermon this week and I came to this part, all of a sudden get a phone call from my brother-in-law, Mark. 
And my, uh, Mark had called me, uh, it was like Tuesday afternoon, about four o'clock. My mother had actually gone up and visited um, them. And then he was concerned because he hadn't got back. And he says, have you heard from your mom? And I said, no, I'll call check on her. And so, so I said, but Mark, let me, I just wrote, in, wrote you into my sermon because Mark had a massive heart attack a few years ago. He's a young man. Um, and so um, he uh, drove him, actually got one of his friends to drive him and my sister Sandy to the hospital. And he had this massive heart attack and he was like Damar, he just fell out on the floor in the emergency room. And he said, um, I said, I know for a fact when the doctor came out, Mark, and he talked to me and us as a family, he said, you know what? I almost gave up on him. After like 35 minutes, he said, Harold, I almost gave up on him, but I didn't. And then Mark said to me, he reminded me, because he had actually had an interesting conversation with his doctor maybe a day or two afterwards. He says, you know what? He said, Mark, I almost gave up on you, but the reason why I didn't give up on you is because I kept saying, Mark, are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? And I kept squeezing the doctor's hand. And if he hadn't squeezed the doctor's hand, he would be dead. Never give up. So my takeaways from all that Monday night football, I mean, I never seen Monday night football fall apart of the scenes, but I really thought it was really powerful about how it called for a sense of unity. It called for a sense of calling people to prayer. I was watching the game last night. If you watched, the Jaguars actually won and they were playing the Titans. And before they started the game, Ellen was texting me. She says, Harold, are you watching the game? I said, yes, I'm watching the game because both teams were on the field praying for DeMar Hamlin last night. Glory, hallelujah. I mean, it, to me, it was like almost like a callback for America. This is really where we need to be. Can I amen on that? Amen. It was just a beautiful moment. I loved it. So then I started thinking, okay, so when we think about what the takeaways, what I really loved about the book of Thessalonians, and we're going to dive into that in the next three or four weeks, but there were some takeaways about that, what I experienced in Monday Night Football, and what, what I think Paul was experienced with the people at Thessaloniki. And here's the first thing. They were united in their faith. They stood together under great pressure and persecution. I just read about that. The second thing is they figured out that they had nowhere else to turn but to Jesus Christ. He was the ultimate answer to their prayers. And number three, they never gave up, even in the midst of great persecution and criticism. Wow. Call. Call. We're called. I mean, what's our next call? We just burn a mortgage, right? I love this, the whole idea about call. So doctors are on call. Entertainers leave tickets at will call. And the sports, sometimes in the sports referees, sometimes they make a good no call. And the army soldiers see an attention for roll call. Surviving an accident, well, that was a close call. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, that's your call. What's our next call? Yeah, what I love about, um, about the Apostle Paul is, you know, I was thinking about, you know, out of all the people, I mean, the greatest, I think the greatest, one of the greatest stories in the Bible and the New Testament is Paul's conversion. It's powerful. 
You know, I, I, was, I, I love the, you know, the History Channel and the Discovery Channel. And so I thought it was really interesting a few years ago, they came out with the, the men who built America. So you had, you had a J.P. Morgan and Andrew Carnegie and you had Henry Ford and they did this takeoff. And I thought that was really interesting. Then they had the men who built America, the frontiersmen. They had Kit Carson and Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone and Lewis. And that was amazing. But you know what's it's interesting as I think about the Bible? You talk about a true trailblazer the Apostle Paul. I mean, it's just, it's to me. So when you think about the trailblazers of the Christian faith, it was Paul. And, and so what I thought was really interesting, what would, I love this quote, what would lead a first century rabbi to travel thousands and thousands of miles, which I showed you just a minute ago on the map, by the sea and by the land to be beaten, to be imprisoned, to risk life and limb and pay the ultimate price for, price for his faith and to be beheaded? And the answer to that is a call. He was called. So I started thinking about this this week because, hey, listen, we just burned a marriage. What's our next call, New Covenant? So think about this. Called to go into the deepest pockets of poverty and their surrounding communities and help them. Called. Called to help with affordable housing. Called to help scholarship kids to get a higher education. Called to help discipleship people through small groups. Called to enhance our existing facilities. Called to evangelism and inviting people to come to worship. Called to faith. Called to love Jesus. Called to fight racism. Called to love our people. Called to excellent worship. Called to make a difference in your neighbor's life. And called to be a good neighbor. Called to impact poverty in the world, to build wells and gardens and give away sewing machines and cows and goats in Africa. Called. We are called. We are a called people of New Covenant United Methodist Church. We are called as United Methodists. We are called as Christians to share the good news of Jesus Christ. After all, Angie just sang about it. We are called to be his hands and his feet and the voice of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Can amen on that? Amen. We are called, called, called. I, I, love, I love our people. I just think about some of the people. Let me just throw a few examples out. Like my friend Pam Brown, she was here worshiping with us last night. I don't know, a few years ago, she just got this call. She got a calling. She says, Harold, there are children who don't have beds. We need to do something about that. I said, Pam, I think that's a great idea. I think we, there, are, there were a thousand children last night that had a bed because of Pam Brown. Called. I think about my, my friend, Stu. Yeah, I, he's, I love him. He's a little bit of a nut, but I love him. <laughs> and... Um, and he, but you know what I love about him? He's just so committed to like our, our, our CCM program about going and visiting people in the hospital. He's like, he just got it. I mean, he just got it. Puts people at ease. He's got that sense of humor. I, I just really, why does he do that? He's just, he's just calm. I think about my friend Don and Marlene Huggins. They just, I mean, the God put it on their heart, of, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago to feed people. And literally tens and thousands of people in their community have food because God called them. I love that. That's what I love about, I just gave you three little, I mean, I literally, I could go around the room and there are literally hundreds of people, a hundred examples. But why do people do that? It's because they are called. So what are we called to do? I mean, what's next? 
I mean, think about that. I mean, when you put it in perspective, I mean, you know, hey, listen, doctors are called, on call, will call, no call, roll call, close call, but Jesus, 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 oh, dear Jesus, that's your call. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> Last week, I wasn't with you. And my, um, I, I decided on Sunday morning, my wife preaches down at Lake Pan. And so I, surpri- I surprised her. You know, I, I was, you know, because it's going to take the week off, you know, take the, so Ellen preached, and I know she did a wonderful job, but it was just nice to have just a day just to kind of deep breath. So I said, you know what, I need to go hear Donna preach. By the way, she's a much better preacher than me. And, and so, um, so I went down and, and a surprise, and I walk, and she's, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. I said, no, well, honey, I want to come support you. And so in the middle of her sermon, um, I didn't realize this, but I got a pop quiz, and I'm sitting on the front row, and she says to me, now Harold, because she was ta- preaching on Shadrach, Meshach, and Brendigo, and uh, Daniel Lyons Den about uh, overcoming diversity or something along those lines. And she says, now Harold, when you got run over, then you were in that accident, and like you were getting pulled out of the car, and you are going through all that, and then you, they put you out in the middle of the road, and you kept saying something. She says, what were you saying? And I thought to myself, I didn't know I was going to get a pop quiz. It's a good thing I'm really paying attention to your sermon. So then I said to myself, this is what I said, honey. I just said it out loud in front of all her congregation. I said, oh, dear Jesus. Oh, dear Jesus. Oh, dear Jesus. I mean, you think about it. Sometimes in life, we have nowhere else to turn, right? Just like the other night in Monday Night Football when it all kind of fell apart at the seams. Somebody was called to round the field to do CPR on a young man to save his life. I mean, the commentators didn't know what the next call was supposed to be. What's our next call? So, you know what? Let me just teach for a second. And so, hey, can you put that next slide about the Apostle Paul? Let me just share with you all, because once again, I, I wanted to teach today about Paul. I love Paul. So let me give you a few highlights about Paul. So here's the first slide. His writings helped shape the lives of nearly one-third of the world's population. Think about that. I think there's about 8 billion people on the planet Earth, and the third of the people on the planet Earth are Christians. So that helped shape who we are as Christians, his teachings. Uh, he was the second most important figure in the Christian faith, only after Jesus Christ. He translated the gospel of Jesus into philosophical categories in the language of the Greco-Roman world so people could understand it. Paul. He wrote or attributed to 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. Paul. Half of the books, of, half of the book of the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, is actually devoted to Paul's story. Paul. Uh, here, can you go to the next slide? Um, he was probably in his early 20s when Jesus was crucified. He was probably killed around 65 AD, which I mentioned a few minutes ago, which is actually, actually the book of Acts is only written about 80 AD, which is only 15 to 20 years after Paul's death. Uh, Luke was probably a traveling companion of the apostle Paul and writing down much of what his, his teachings were. Um, Paul's letters were written from around 49 to 69 AD. By the way, the book of Thessalonians is the first letter that Paul wrote. It's the earliest writings that we have in the New Testament. It came before the Gospels. It's written around 49 or 50 AD. The first piece of scripture that we have is actually written from the Apostle Paul, and it's the book, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. 
so, and then, um, then what, what do we find out about? And so if you go back and look at the teachings of Paul and what was written about Paul, you can actually dissect and actually figure out some things that are specifically attributed to who he was as a person. So here's, he says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus. Um, I'm a citizen of no ordinary city. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel on the tribe. He's from the book of, uh, from actually the tribe of Benjamin. Um, I studied under the Gamel and he was, uh, was thoroughly trained with the law of our ancestors. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my years in my own age and my own, among my own people. So in other words, he was making great strides about being a great Pharisee. And this is what he was, he had a lifelong dream. And so what was very interesting, evidently, um, when you look at the story, he was very well trained. He, matter of fact, his mother and father, at the age, age of 12 or 13, sent him to Jerusalem to study under, well, the elite of the lead. So he, was, he had this unbelievable education. He came from an unbelievable place. Matter of fact, if you um, know anything about Tarsus, can you put that information about, about Tarsus, if you could please? About, yeah. So here's the interesting, so where's Paul from? He's from Tarsus. So you say, well, what's the big deal about Tarsus? Well, Tarsus is a really big deal. First of all, what was important about Tarsus, it was um, part of the main trade route and so it ran across. And so people from high and low, they would come and they would, it was a really important city. And so it was very powerful is that if you lived in Tarsus, if you lived in Tarsus and owned land, which evidently Paul's family did, you could be a Roman citizen. And do you know how many times Paul used to get out of jail card because he was a Roman citizen? Okay, so you have that. Um, Tarsus is a tax-free city. Loyalty to the Roman Empire came with a free pass if you lived in Tarsus. They had, a, they had Greek games. They had a theater there. They had a fabulous library. They had the Ivy League. It was like the, the Yale was there. Saul, at the age of 13, was sent away to be able to go and be educated. That's Paul. And, and what I, the reason why I share that with you all today, folks, is I think it's really important because you, when we think about all the things that shaped your story, right? like the culture you were raised in, the era that you were raised in, your mother and your father, your family life, your brothers and sisters, the church that you attended maybe in your childhood. Um, all that, to me, has something about shaping who you are as a person. And so when you look at the Apostle Paul's story, all that had something to do with, I mean, the good and the bad and the ugly, Right? We've all gone through that at some point in our lives. We have all these different facets and things that happened that shaped us. And I call it like the puzzle pieces of our lives and how it brought us together to here we are today. And so what I think it's really powerful about the Apostle Paul and his story about living in Tarsus and being, have, being having somewhat of a privileged life but, and being educated. I, what I love about, I mean, out of all the people you think that God probably shouldn't have chosen, but he chose Paul, chose Saul, he chose him, which is, one minute, he called him. And so what's very powerful, I mean, and the reason why I think it's so powerful when you look at the, the teachings of Saul is because all that education, that culture, all that him being able to write the language in a way that people could communicate and accept it and to be able to understand it, all went back to Paul and his upbringing. It's amazing. And I, what I love about that, I think about my story, right? And your story and our stories together. You know, I was raised in a Christian home. I'm grateful for that. My mother and father loved me. I, I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm grateful that they brought me to church every single week. And I, I'm grateful for that. I, my, I, I, I joke with, you know what? My, I was born on a Sunday and the next week I went back to, ch I went to church on the next Sunday. My mother tells me that, right? And, and so this is a part of who I am, Right? Part of the United Methodist Church is a part of who I am. It's part of my identity. 
So all that kind of plays into what I call our calling. And so what I, I love about that, and once again, I'm, I was thinking about this this last week, and I, I've received so many beautiful cards. I, like, I literally found, I, I, I counted like 3,000 cards when I was in my accident from you all. And one of my favorite cards that I received from my friend Cindy Johnson, which is Donna's best friend, she said, and she wrote this little message, Harold, don't forget this. God can use your story for his glory. And so that's what I love about the Apostle Paul. I mean, to me, that one little sentence really is an expression of the good and the bad and the ugly of what Paul had gone through, but he used, God, he used his story. I, I also shared this with you. This with you. Um, I, um, yesterday uh, was um, somewhat of a sad day, but a beautiful day, because I'm, I spoke to my friend Don Piper and Eva Piper, and they buried their daughter yesterday. She's only 46, two beautiful children. And Don and I sat on the couch and we watched it virtually. And, and I kept, one, I was texting them the, over the last two or three days before the service and I wanted to let them know that we love them and I love them. And I just kept saying, I, I actually wrote the text to Chris and Don and Eva. I basically wrote the same thing. I just hope and believe and I trust and believe that God will be glorified and that Cole will be honored. And that's exactly what happened as I watched that service yesterday. God was glorified. And her life was honored. I didn't realize this about Nicole um, Piper was that she accepted Jesus at the age of six. And for the next 40 years, she dedicated her whole life to being a good mother, to being a, 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 great, a, a great wife. But she dedicated her life to the church. But all went back to that defining moment in her life that she was called to be a Christian and accept Christ as her personal savior and that played out in her whole life. And that was reflected over and over again in that one hour service yesterday that God was glorified and she was honored. So here, let me just, I'm gonna wrap this up. And so here's one interesting thing. As I, I once again, I teach on the, and we're gonna learn more about Paul in the next few, a few weeks. But what's really powerful is that we know, I think the greatest conversion in the, in the early church is in the whole New Testament is Paul's conversion. So we got this story, Paul is going up to the road to Damascus. And the reason why I think this is really important, um, can you put that picture up, the one slide of the map where the talks about, yeah, okay, so great. So here's the interesting thing. Let me just teach real quick. So here's Jerusalem right here. And Paul's down here and he's, um, he's made, well, he is all about going and getting the Christians and killing them. And so if there comes a place in the story of the book of Acts, he says, listen, um, we know that there's some Christians up here, up here in Damascus. And here's Caesarea Philippi. This is where Paul, Jesus has a conversation with Peter and says, Peter, he asked his disciples, who do they say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. So it's, it's even further north. How, how far is this from here to here? 145 miles. So the question is, you have to ask, why in the world will Paul be so gung-ho to go all the way to Damascus to go get those Christians and go bring them back to Jerusalem so they could be killed? I'll tell you the reason why. Because Paul wanted to make a name for himself. He was on the fast track to become a Pharisee. And so what's really powerful on that particular road, on a particular day, Jesus gets a hold of him and calls out from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why are you, why are you persecuting me? Why do you continue to kick against the goads? Now, some of you are thinking, what the heck is a goad, right? 
Well, a goad is actually, it's like a prog. It's a, plaw, it's a long stick and it had some kind of maybe metal part to it. And it was a person we'd following uh, behind oxen. And so the oxen would be going for it. And so they would poke the oxen in order to make sure that they went to the right direction. And so then, and, and if the oxen would sometimes would get a little irritable and they would kick against the goad. And so, and when they would kick against the goad, guess what? It caused pain. And so what Jesus is saying to Saul, listen, you're on the wrong track. You need to get on the right track and you need to quit kicking up against me because you're causing so much pain in my life and other people's lives. So cut it out, Saul. Jesus called him. He was blinded. He goes down to a place called Straight. He calls a guy named Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go down and find this guy. His name is Saul. Ananias says, I heard about that guy. I don't want to go. He says, no, no, I got it. It's going to be fine. So he goes and lays hands on him. And it's, the Bible says it was as if scales fall from his eyes. And immediately, I love this part. Don't miss the detail. Saul was baptized. He became a believer. He was converted. He was called to a brand new life. Yeah. So he went from all this kind of blind ambition and being blinded to a brand new life of light and love and following Jesus Christ. What's our next call? So I close with this today. Uh, um, I, I think it's really powerful is that um, I walk in, I see Tuesday, Monday night football is on Monday. Uh, that makes sense. Monday night football is on Monday. So Tuesday, you know, I mean, uh, I, I walk, and Donna says to me, I'm walking, it's about five o'clock. She says, you're not gonna believe this. I said, well, honey. She says, I, I don't know how she ended up watching it because Donna never watched ESPN, but it was watching, she was watching the NFL live. I think, what are you doing watching? Now? Well, I wanted to find out if we found out more about Damar Hamlin. I said, okay. And, she's, and she says, I took a picture of this. And I said, would you take a picture? And she literally took a picture. I think I've got a picture of it. This is Donna Hendren. She took the picture off of her TV. And this is the NFL Live Network and the former quarterback, Don Orlinsky. He was praying on Tuesday for Damar Hamlin's life. Donna says, I can't believe it. I've never seen anything like it. I haven't either. She was so taken back, she literally took out the camera and took a picture of it. So then I went back and I found the prayer. God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand that are hard because we believe that you're God and coming to you and praying to you has impact. We're sad, we're angry and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength, for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort Damar, to be with his family, to give him peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this in the first place, oh God. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. I thought that was a great prayer for the NFL Network this week. It was a great prayer for... America to hear. So, well, call, call, call. 
Doctors are on call, entertainers leave tickets on will call, and the sports referees sometimes make a good no call, and the army soldiers stand up at attention, they take roll call. Survivors of accidents, sometimes they, well, they experience a close call, but Jesus, 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 oh dear Jesus, that's your call. 